Welcome to another edition of the Building Blocks podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bledsoe, and today we are going to talk about the empty block miner some more. Joshua Hensley, Crypto Acorns on Twitter, published a really good take on this in a podcast video, or not sure if he, he calls what he's doing podcasts, but a really sh a short 15 minutes or so take on his updated view on the empty block miner, which I thought was pretty good. He's, I think he's gone more towards the just boot them from the environment viewpoint than I have. If you want to catch up on this real quick and what my thoughts are, you can listen to the previous podcast. I'll, I'll try to make sure there's a link easily available to you. I still think that it is better to solve the incentive structure problem than it is to just boot them out of the environment. I'll try to explain why. Let me see if I can't summarize his argument and please Joshua if you want to come in here and correct me what with whatever I get wrong because obviously I'm just paraphrasing and I don't I'm not sure exactly what's in your head or exactly how you see it this is just how it struck me when I listened to it uh, last night so please do come and correct me so his view is that essentially someone has signed on to work in the BSV environment but isn't doing the work that they've been assigned and this constitutes a form of theft or uh, workplace fraud, or it's like saying, it's like taking a job and then when you're given the actual work to do, saying this is gonna cost you extra, which is fraud, contract, non-compliance. You could probably find a lot of legal ways to describe what that actually is, but I, that's the, I think that's the basic idea. I think that's a pretty fair and accurate summary. And I think the view is not completely off track. It's obviously in the right zone of what the situation actually is. I do think it's slightly more complicated. And the reason it's not a totally fair assessment is because I don't believe that it has been made explicitly clear. And there's some confusing stuff. You might have noticed it often seems like Dr. Wright is contradicting himself. But then when you look closer, he's actually talking about different things. Now they're very closely related things. Maybe he's not especially good at clarifying small nuanced differences because he has very little patience if what's obvious to him isn't obvious to you. That's all, I think, a part of it. But the thing that often happens has happened here where you can you point to two different things that he has said. The one thing he has said is that if you don't process transactions, you're cheating and you're going to get kicked out of the environment. And the other thing that he has said is that it's fine to bankrupt chain with empty blocks. So what this looks contradictory. Let's try to let me try to explain what I think happened here with the seemingly contradictory views. Now, somebody pointed out that Dr. Wright published two blog posts about four days apart, I believe in about 2017 or 2018, one where he said basically it was fine to broadcast empty blocks on the, I think it was the ABC or the BCH or some other chain, even if it destroys that chain. And then about four days later, he posted one saying that on Bitcoin, you must actually process transactions, that you're not told the fee you have to accept, but you must process transactions. 
which I think would then mean by that logic that empty blocks, consistently empty blocks, means you are not participating in the market. Your fees are so high that no one can meet them, no one will meet them. And anytime you win a block, you're just basically performing a denial of service attack against the entire network. I think the key to understanding how this is not a contradiction in Dr. Wright's mind is to understand that he sees the white paper as a contract that you are entering into by accepting the block subsidy. So the block subsidy, this is not a block reward, it is a block subsidy, which will eventually be completely eliminated. Now what is the purpose of a subsidy? A subsidy is designed to temporarily or in some cases permanently it seems, incentivize behavior that is not otherwise profitable. So mining is not profitable until there are enough transaction fees to make it profitable. So the subsidy is a temporary incentive to mine until the fee market matures. So the key here is to, to, the key to understanding the purpose in the white paper is to understand that it halves on purpose until it eliminates. Did Satoshi intend the network to continue after the block subsidy is eliminated? Obviously the answer is yes. So then how did Satoshi intend for the network miners to be profitable? And the answer is obvious. Satoshi gave it in his own words many times, and that's network fees or transaction fees that will at some point far and away exceed the subsidy. And as the value of the chain grows, tiny and volume grows to gigantic proportions, which was always Satoshi's ultimate goal, then you don't need the subsidy because it's profitable to just write the transactions out with, with just a tiny piece of a gigantic number of transactions. This, this is why it's a disruptive technology. And the subsidy was just designed to get people started until we got there with usage. It's got to be a commodity that a tradable commodity that has value because it has utility or it's nothing. Relying on only the subsidy is obviously a losing game in the long term. And it, we're supposed to, we should be way further along, except that we got sabotaged along the way by people who don't want it to be a commodity that's useful but instead want it to be a security that you gamble on its future rise and fall. But you really honestly shouldn't need any exchanges for it to be useful. You shouldn't need to be switching in and out of fiat all the time to, to be able to do things with it. You should be able to grow the amount of uh, Bitcoin that you have without trading anything in. You should be able to earn it by providing goods and services that are paid for in Bitcoin. And since the Bitcoin is being doled out on a, a regular basis, then there's no need for fiat, a whole lot of fiat to come in. You can have it, but it shouldn't be necessary. The entire BTC and crypto architecture right now is dependent on fiat on-ramps and off-ramps. 
to trade in and out of something that's actually useful. See, there's the problem. If your digital currency is not useful without fiat, it's not a currency, and therefore it's not valuable. When you understand the nature of the subsidy, I think you start to understand why accepting that subsidy is like accepting the terms of service for software. By using this, you agree to be bound by these terms of service. By accepting this subsidy, you're agreeing to be bound by the white paper, which says you process transactions. It's pretty explicit. Reread it. You'll see it's very explicit in there that a part of mining is processing transactions. That's not the most profitable part. This has been skewed a little bit by, and this is something that Joshua points out. This has been skewed a little bit by the fact that ASIC mining is so dominant and makes it so much cheaper to, on a per hash basis, that you, and, and so many of these BTC miners are not equipped to deal with big blocks. They're optimized for dealing with tiny blocks that have almost no transactions in them. So they're optimized to have gigantic hash power and very little ability to listen to the mempool, draw in transactions, and write those transactions, verify all the signatures, validate the transactions, validate the nature of the coins or whatever it is that's being traded. There's a process here that's CPU intensive, that's memory intensive. So your system has to grow beyond just the ability to perform the calculations necessary to find a block. This is always Satoshi's design, and you can find where he's been saying this since the very beginning, that there's a whole system here that is far more than just finding the block. But the entire game right now, there's a lot of people with a lot of hash power pointed at BTC who are finding blocks and don't have to do a lot of work where the transactions are concerned. BTC mining is becoming less profitable. The difficulty algorithm is very high because there's so many big ASIC miner rigs pointed at it, and they're looking for some way to redeploy those where they can be more profitable. Now, it might make sense to point those at BSV, because BSV actually has a far lower difficulty algorithm setting right now, because there's far much less hash power pointed at it, but they actually can't process big blocks. So what do they do? You just Maybe you just write an empty block. And that's the incentive problem that I'm actually talking about when I'm talking about this, is that it's way more profitable to write an empty block because fees being what they are. I don't think that's actually the case that we have, but there's no reason that it won't be going forward. So project this forward in time to a time when BTC is closer to its natural price against fiat and at some point BSV becomes far more profitable. BTC becomes basically unprofitable and perhaps BSV with the algorithm, with the difficulty algorithm set where it is for BTC would still not be profitable because it it wouldn't be. The infrastructure you have to maintain would make it unmaintainable. But let's just say that some amount of BTC miners could be sustained to maintain some level of infrastructure for some amount of time, but they can't process big blocks. The incentive structure has to be ready so that they're not incentivized to do this kind of stuff. Because even if you go after them legally, that takes time. There's an incentive problem here to solve. I don't think you can rely on coercive measures. We have to maintain the beauty of the incentive structure 
to incentivize doing the right thing over the wrong thing. That is the beauty of Bitcoin security is that it is unprofitable to do the wrong things. In areas where it's not unprofitable to do the wrong things, implementing some kind of price control is nonsensical. This is exactly how they kicked off. They turned a recession into a depression with the Great Depression. At a time when the economy needed to contract because economic conditions had changed and you needed wages, you needed layoffs, you needed some layoffs, but also you needed people to accept lower wages so that their jobs could continue. Because you had some deflation, you had some economic contraction, and Herbert Hoover, thinking he was doing a, just a wonderful thing, set wage controls in, in place. And at the same time, started implementing some price controls so that you couldn't raise prices, but you also couldn't pay people less. So what happens? The economy collapses. People go, a lot of people are going out of business. They're ruined. They're jumping off buildings. This is the central planning fallacy that you can be smart enough to, to tell people the right thing to do all the time. No one is that smart. Satoshi Nakamoto is not that smart, which is why it was so smart to put economic mechanisms in place to control this. So the fee market has to be able to go up or down as the fee economy changes. So I think it's a mistake to say there's no case where fees would need to go down. That's just nobody is smart enough to know that for sure. And this is what I'm saying is that unilateral declarations that prices should move in this direction or they're overpriced is a little bit simplistic. I understand the sentiment. And in the long term, it's true. But in the short term, the way one way to think about this is that supply of transactions is being artificially constrained because the transactions that are not timely are less valuable. Transactions are normally instant in BSV. I can send you a penny and that penny will show up in your wallet instantly and you can use it. Now, it's not written in the block yet, but it's the nature of SPV, simplified payment vectors. It's a really a beautiful system. It works really well. We've already been using it. We're using it. We've been using it. We're going to continue to use it. It works. The problem is your transaction goes out to the mempool and then it can't be written. Or it's not written until much, much later. Or it gets undone in a reorg. These are all possibilities, especially when you have some miner out there who is trying to win the hash race and then write empty blocks. You're setting us a, a scenario here where the supply is artificially constrained. This is a possibility that could happen from time to time where maybe you have miners coming over from BTC at some point in the future that are writing some transactions, but they're setting their prices so high that it's not very many. So every time they write a block, it's got 10% of the mempool in it or something. And you're now you're gonna now you're gonna kick them out because they're not artificially they're not meeting your price controls. No, this doesn't this is not a road that ends well in my opinion. Now I could be wrong. I would love to hear what the counter argument to this is. And you all who disagree, tell me what I'm missing. I really would like to understand. But it seems to me that where this is gonna be a recurring problem unless prices can go up when they need to, when when supply is artificially constrained by reducing the amount of available transaction space within a reasonable amount of time. You, 
your effective processing rate is essentially zero when somebody writes 29 empty blocks in a row. And you're losing a lot of transactions out of the mempool. Now, do you think people will pay more per transaction to get their transactions into the blockchain under those conditions? Yes, they will. In fact, many of the users, consumers of minor services have asked them to raise prices and make it more reliable. But somehow you're supposed to be forbidden from meeting the market demand that your customers are asking for in terms of reliability in order to artificially keep them low. I'm not against low transaction fees. I'm for them. I'm for them being so low that it's practically free. And that's the direction that we're ultimately headed. But conditions change and they have to be adapted to. And they need to be adapted to in real time. Nobody can check with the central authority in order to know what they ought to do. It's a competitive landscape. If I set them too high, nobody's going to use it. If I set it high, but it may, lets me get them in the blockchain and keep them there, then that's the, for the market to decide. So that's just the way I see it. Yes, kick the malicious miner out. Okay, take legal action. Freeze the funds that they got writing these blocks where they're not keeping the contract. That the courts may not even rule as a contract, may not rule it's something similar to a terms of service, may not rule that find keeping the subsidy is a sign that you've accepted the contract. We don't, that's all to be determined. I think the odds are good that all of that stuff will work out fine, but we don't, we can't afford to rely on that. We have to set the right economic incentives because courts get this stuff wrong. Governments get this stuff wrong. And we've got to set a system that works just based on the pure economics. That's my opinion here. I think it's foolish to assume this will not ever be a problem again. What we've exposed is an economic loophole that could come back to bite us. It's wise to begin thinking about how we need to deal with this. And maybe it is being dealt with behind closed doors and people are talking about this in a more sensible way than you're seeing in public discussion. It's hard to know. We've become so conditioned to draw battle lines and to try to keep a united front and then just destroy anyone who disagrees with us in public. I mean, and you think about Dr. Wright's experience. He came on my podcast and talked about how a lot of people were telling him, what's wrong with Bitcoin? What are the problems with Bitcoin? And he believed them. And it turned out they were disingenuous. And in, and he did, made a lot of changes that he didn't agree with and didn't want to and thought were going to be temporary. And then they completely stopped listening to him altogether. He's obviously now learned from that experience and is not listening to people. I mean, there's probably some people that he trusts and does listen to, but the majority of people he doesn't listen to. And why would he? Why would he listen to the random Joe Blow on the internet, like say me? I don't. He doesn't have any reason to think I know what I'm talking about. I could be. I could be another one of those disinfo agents that's been planted to disrupt, to sow the seeds of disruption. How how is he going to know that? So the Byzantine general problem applies to the comms about how we ought to fix Bitcoin. This is a problem. I don't see how we actually solve this easily. So, I think it's very understandable why. Dr. Wright feels this way, and he has, you know, every right to react however he sees fit. I just don't think that some of this that's in public, that's happening in public, is very productive. I think all of us are prone to overreaction these days. And it is hard to have some of these discussions in public, but it's not impossible. 
it's just the the environment is so poisoned by all the trolling and all the paid agitator activity that we've just go into siege mode and it's just really hard to not overreact to any sort of anything that we perceive as criticism we're so quick to 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 just make the decision that someone who disagrees with us is either stupid or evil and you can be wrong and not be stupid or evil and maybe you're the one that's wrong there's, you, there's always that possibility to keep in mind and if you don't you're going to put yourself in a bad place because now you can never hear any counter arguments so we need to have i think open discussion on this and public discussion this is what sets our community apart from so much of the crypto space that is built on scamming we're not we're built on utility we're built on building something that is economically sustainable and in order to do that maximally in the long term then we have to be able to be honest about our own problems and we have to be open to hearing out all the viewpoints okay let me get back to why do i think we're definitely going to see more btc small blockers get into bsv over time i'm certain of it because i'm all, i'm certain that btc will be exposed as being a non-viable option. Lightning Network is not workable. It is not an option going forward. It's gonna be some painful lessons to learn that, but eventually all these lessons will come to the fore. Meanwhile, BSV will just continue chugging along, building user base, building applications, building use cases, building technology, refining our use cases, refining our technology. So, eventually we're going to be the only the last bitcoin standing so what's going to happen to btc in that case well i expect that btc will continue to decline in price what is holding btc at its current price so that's a good question i don't think i have time left here to go into that in great depth but let me just give you a little bit i'll just give you a little overview of what i think is going to happen and why Eventually, as fake counterfeit money and cheap fiat gets drained out and there's the liquidity goes down, the price is going to continue to go down until it reaches its actual value, which I don't actually know what its actual value is. It probably has some small amount of value, maybe between ten and $1,000 per BTC. But that price is going to continue to go down. As it continues to go down, and there's so much infrastructure cost associated with mining it a lot of people will quit the game some of them will try to find other things they can do with their proof of work rigs you can't point them at ethereum anymore because it went proof of stake huge mistake by my way separate issue more content coming on that but meanwhile btc could self-destruct its own previous narrative in order to counter the declining subsidy and with no transaction fees to be had you're going to see inflation of the BTC supply, or you're going to see switch to proof of stake. In any case, you're going to have to see some wild stuff go down to try to preserve the BTC system that is not viable in the long term because the subsidy will go away. You're going to have these BTC players coming into BSV at some point because it will be more profitable. They're going to have to revamp their entire ecosystem, which is why I think the BSV miners now are going to be in such a bigger and better position to dominate this space because these BTCers don't know how to process transactions because the chain that they're on actually has very little usage and very little utility. 
everybody's optimizing for these fake Bitcoin channels called Lightning Network, which actually isn't Bitcoin at all. It's more like a credit card system that is secured with Bitcoin. Very honestly, that's what it seems like to me. So let me try to sum up a little bit what I have said here and what I think the key arguments are. Satoshi sees the white paper as a contract that you accept by accepting the subsidy. So accepting the subsidy makes you legally liable to attempt to process transactions. I think as a legal position, it's a little more tenuous. You never actually know how courts are going to view things, particularly when you're going to have to drive this thing all the way to the end of the process maybe and make the argument and refine the argument a bunch of times because sometimes it comes down to how do things strike one particular person on one particular day and you get really wonky decisions coming out of the courts sometimes. These are just a, another set of flawed humans that can be wrong, that can be bought, that can be corrupt, that can misuse their power. There's all these reasons why you might have the right argument and get the wrong outcome in court. So anytime you have to enter court, it is uh, a risk. And you saw that with the trial where you got basically a really wonky outcome where basically the judge who seemed like a reasonable enough person, seemed like a sympathetic, empathetic enough person, basically ruled that it, all this cyberbullying was fine because the good doctor had not preemptively satisfied the conditions that they set to decide whether or not he was honest. Now, whether or not someone is honest, how does that justify cyberbullying and death threats and attacking people's family? This whole thing is ridiculous. We can only hope that some of this gets corrected in the UK trial because it's such a bad press. The paid shills, the trolls, the bad actors are emboldened. They're actually not going too far yet, but let's just say the UK trial goes badly because another judge gets bought. But this is the whole problem with relying on a complicated legal strategy that where you need to build one decision on top of another. First, I need to establish this. Then I need to establish that. Okay. But what if you don't? So this plays into what to, to my argument. I agree and disagree. I see it both ways. I'm holding contradictory opinions in my head where I do believe it would be warranted, justifiable morally and legally to freeze the block subsidies that have gone to the empty block miner, particularly from this point forward, because now we're starting to get a little bit of clarity. But they were playing by the rules of the game as they understood them. Whether or not that's in good faith is hard to mind read. It, it seems to me there's no possible way they could have been acting in a profitable manner because the amount of hash power that they were using to put forth empty blocks was non-trivial. It's going to cost a lot of, in terms of infrastructure and electricity. It seems that it's the odds that it's not malicious are low. The odds that it is malicious are high. So I think then now some warning shots have been fired. There's fair warning that if you don't process transactions, if you DOS the environment because you misunderstand the rules, then action will be taken. That from this point forward seems a little more fair. And while that seems a little more fair, I think it only solves a limited subset of the problem here. 
there is an incentive level problem where it is now more profitable to do the wrong thing than the right thing. And Bitcoin is based on a system where that's not true. And I think we have to just address that. We have to admit that and address that. And that's the way forward. Open, honest, public discussion. So that's my take. I'd love to hear your take on it. Please uh, let me know. Please get back to me. Please leave me feedback anywhere and everywhere you can so that I can incorporate that going forwards. Show me where I'm wrong, please. I'll be very grateful. Thanks and bye. Oh, and follow us on all the various platforms. The primary ones that we use are LinkedIn and Twitter. Please follow us at Bodger Legas on Twitter. Block Builder Labs company page on LinkedIn. And connect with me personally on LinkedIn. Thanks very much. Bye.